Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Get to Know Podcast. Today, we are joined by Mr. Joe Jeffrey, good friend and ex-coach of mine. Um, Joe's been a, a bit of a fucking pioneer in the UK bodybuilding industry, kind of bridging that gap between pulling information from research and what's available in terms of clinical data and giving that with practical application for PEDs. So that is going to be one of our topics here. We're going to go through more so your first exposure and um, the decision to actually go on board. But if, Joe, you want to introduce yourself, um, take care. Yeah, for sure. Firstly, guys, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Bright and early. We're recording this at 7.30 in the morning, which is good. I prefer to box the work off early, so that's awesome. Um, you've absolutely blown my head up there, calling me the pioneer of <laughs> in the UK. That's that's awesome if anybody sees me as that. But primarily, I'm, I'm an online physique coach. I coach 95% competitors these days. I still have a, a, a small collection of guys that are interested in, like, absolute maximal progress with very big goals essentially i just don't really i don't have any lifestyle clients the same thing that all of my clients are enhanced also i think that's the reason why most people come to me i've been doing this just a tick over six years full time um coaching a bit on the side just a bit over seven years i um have a company called physique collective i'm one of the directors it's a subscription-based site where we do video-based content and also our forum is very active there with logs and research reviews and uh, Q&A threads and things like that, which has been my main focus over the last year or so, given my coaching is kind of at the point that it can be at. And uh, besides all of that, I'm a bodybuilding nerd. I'm a meathead at heart. I love lifting heavy weights and eating chicken and rice and things like that um but uh so i have at least some in the trenches experience but i'm also very interested in evidence-based knowledge and application also i think that's me yeah so um we thought like the whole the way the physique collective is run, i think this is like one of the most important things to highlight just so it doesn't put anyone off this and i think most people listening should actually subscribe to it because it is all given in layman's terms and in like practical application so yes there is clinical data there's research review but it, it's all brought back down and practically how you can apply this um so i would highly recommend anyone to go and subscribe there but as i mentioned we're going to go through first exposure so when it comes to jumping on board, going to the dark side of PEDs, what is the what are the main questions that people kind of need to ask themselves? So, right off the bat, if an individual is interested in taking the four A into performance enhancing drugs, there's some basics to understand when it comes to your own individual context. And then when you do take the step, how broad biological inter-individuality is and how important your own response to every single anabolic or lipolytic, you know, muscle growth potential, fat loss potential, how good do you do that already? Because if you're quite an average guy who's been resistance training for a long time and has been uh, eating in a hypercaloric uh, scenario, you've been in a calorie surplus for a very long time and you look okay you're not really like one of the bigger natty guys then 
coming in with the understanding that drugs aren't going to take you to become an IFBB pro is super important because we come back to this immediate context that if you're going to do specifically anabolic androgenic steroids in the safest way to manage, it's going to be a lifelong commitment because shutting down your own HPG axes, restarting your own HPG axes, digging yourself through this trudge of um hypogonadism you know clinically low androgen levels between cycles we know that's old thinking now um so it will mean that you will have to inject yourself with this oil at least once a week for the rest of your life so if you're only doing this with the goal of becoming an ifbb pro being realistic about that is number one you may want to think twice and if that's the only reason, do something else and just enjoy your bodybuilding time. Um, also, the context, and this is very important with the safer use movement that's going on now, which is great. You know, we all want to do this in a safer manner, but it also comes with some degree of misunderstanding in the community that there is a safe way and like you can avoid deleterious health costs. You cannot. There's no way to use PED safely. There's no way there is a cost for every individual with every super physiological drug deployment. You are causing harm to your health. You will most likely be taking some time off the end of your life. Is that worth it to you? You know, having that context in mind, first and foremost, and even planning out a risk to reward of how far you're going to take it, because there's this dose response relationship with those health costs. If you want to be an IFBB pro, you're going to have to sacrifice a serious amount of your health, unfortunately, unless you really are an absolute one in a billion freak. Um, and then just having basic understanding of the mechanisms of actions of the drugs that you may use in your bodybuilding time. And we've got all of this on Physique Collective and it's all ordered in such a way that it, it shouldn't be as difficult as it once was to get through. Um, so you understand how these drugs work physiologically. And then you'll get a pretty clear view of the cost and you'll get a pretty clear view of how far you want to take it as an individual. I think that's a pretty simple baseline. Yeah, pretty comprehensive. Um, one of the points that you mentioned there with like being a good bodybuilder naturally, like it's one of the things I first heard Scott Stevenson talk about was like the cream will always price at the top. Mm -hmm. So the best guys, like the genetic elite, they've shown that they're the genetic elite even as naturals. So like you'll see these guys um who was it that I've, I've heard kind of reference of like even ronnie coleman when he was natty like lee priest when he was natty like they were always going to be incredible bodybuilders it was just a matter of do i decide am i going to be an incredible natural bodybuilder or do yeah. i join join the ifbb like um and you're not really going to drug your way past that but you can drug your way like up the ladder you know what i mean you can you can improve what you're currently at um but yeah there is definitely no less is more <laughs> in many in many respects like i feel like people just jump balls deep into using androgens and thinking the more i throw in my body the more i'm going to respond and then as you said here like you can't throw anything into your body without having a negative and consequential effect like that is the the reality so like stop throwing so much into your body initially <laughs> that your body's just going to literally be like what the fuck are you doing yeah, so that's an important point that there's um, 
with pretty much every drug input, there's an inverted U relationship, dose response relationship to the myotrophic outcome. So you can look at studies like the famous Basin study where they use graded doses of testosterone up to 600 milligrams. Um, and it's a really interesting study if you ever look at the actual statistical analysis and not just like the averages described in the abstract. And I've got a research review of this on Physique Collective as well. Sorry, this is sounded like an advert for Physique Collective. Um, <laughs> So you see there's a dose-response relationship. So yeah, like the more drugs these individuals take, the greater gains that they make, but we only titrate up to 600 milligrams, which, you know, in the bodybuilding world, a 600 milligram per week androgen load total is not considerable at all. You know, we're talking about... Call that TRT. <laughs> some, some people do like cruise or run their maintenance phases at, at 600 milligrams per week which are highly unlikely 90 percent of people require that but, you know we've got people that are working in the two to three gram range or even up to the five gram range now yes more, more is going to do more up to a point and then you're going to cross this uh inflection point where the I'll keep it basic and use a word like stress, although we'd have to get into the um, the inputs responsible. The stress load of the drug um, is going to overtake your ability to drive adaptations positively. And then even more is going to be doing less at a point. Um, so, yeah, m more is more until it isn't, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what are like the points that people need to look out for when they're managing that like highest load that they can tolerate where do they find that like inflection point um and what are the things they can implement to keep stress as low as possible whether that be from the dosage perspective a multi-pathway model etc uh, exactly as you said that's so another quick point on that basin study that's relevant to this is when you look at the statistical analysis for the 600 milligram group for example there's the plot is all over the place yeah. so there's one individual that gains like so like 30 pounds of lean body mass which is going to be some mix of protein some muscle and fluid and glycogen and extracellular and intracellular fluid and metabolite accumulation whatever so this guy's like blown up this is like leon pierce here um and then um there were people that gained nothing in, when exposed to 600 milligrams of androgens and this could be you, you know, you, you don't know what your gene expression is. You don't know when the androgen receptor, uh, when the androgen binds at the androgen receptor and transcribes anabolism and turns on mTOR and muscle protein synthesis and stuff. What happens to that cascade of signaling for you as an individual is entirely individual. Uh, so you, you may take 250 milligrams of anabolics and get dick on you might take a gram and get dickle. You know, these people do exist, just like there's very low responders to training, um, which is why I think a titration model is smart and trying to get, I hate the phrase the most from the least. It's a, it's a bit of like a, a catchphrase in bodybuilding that nobody is ever going to adhere to because we're bodybuilders and growth-minded and we think, fuck that, we'll take a bit more. Um, but discovering almost like... Um, so I'm good friends with Mike Israel, and I, I help Mike and Jared and the RP crew with all of their drug programming. And if you look at their training model, they use terminology like maintenance volume, minimum effective volume, maximum recoverable volume. And this is very, uh, not, very much not independent to the training world. We can apply the, this exact frame, this exact terminology to the PED world as well. 
And you'll see the individual nature of volume tolerance. There's many individuals that get incredible size gains. Look at Jordan Peters, for example, from very low total weekly volumes. That's where his effective volume lies with the degree of intensity that he trained at. Other people, you know, they might need north of 30 sets a week to get the same growth stimulus from a body part. And it's going to be the same with drug input. So you should learn that. Like in your first, um, let's say, macro cycle of androgen use, you know, this first time that you're going to use androgens for, learn where your minimum effective dosing is um, and be patient with finding that, which is difficult, but there should be a marked response to growth of androgens, um, which is where this question of where to begin that escalation lies. And that can be a little bit complicated. We, we could take a framework like, right, go and get your blood work and see where your total testosterone is now. If it's 400 nanograms, I won't look nanograms, English audience. Uh, if it's 10 mmol per litre or something, absolutely going up to 30 is going to increase your net anabolism. And more than likely, you'll get a nice return on your investment. If you're already at the top end, then you're going to need to go a bit further beyond. The issue with this model is... No one's doing that in bodybuilding, unfortunately. You know, the adherence to that, and me say, go and get your blood work and then bring that back. And then what we can do is work out the average total end mole per milligram of testosterone. It's a model people go, fuck that, man. I'm just trying to get on cycle. So to be more realistic, to frame an average TRT dose, 150 milligram for most individuals, and say, tag 50 milligram of additional androgens a week on top, 200 milligram per week, I think is a brilliant place to start. That's going to have the massive majority of individuals in the super physiological range of androgens, which means their total net anabolism expressed via all of the things that androgens do. We're talking about testosterone, so we're only really talking about the androgen receptor here. Um, that should, assuming that you have either average or above average response to androgen receptor, gene expression um get some good results but it might not and if not okay maybe after six weeks eight weeks whatever we might go 250 do you see anything there for the next eight weeks do you see an increased rate of protein accretion do you see any kind of recomposition effects are your loads in the gym are your progressions maybe you were previously using a progression model that you can far exceed now you know you're getting in the gym and you're able to put 10 kilos on and match your RIR from the last week. No natural person's doing that week after week, you know. So we can discover, okay, I got to 250 milligrams and I started to see some nice return on investment. So this is going to be my minimum effective dosing here. And over time, as you use these drugs and you go to different pathways and eventually become a competitor and then compete on the national scale, whatever you get, you shouldn't really be reaching that maximum dosing until we're talking at least national ranks pro ranks more so and like i said for most people that's going to lie somewhere in the two to three gram range if it doesn't this isn't for you and I'm, i mean i i don't mean that in a any kind of like deprecating way because i'm in this class like i could take two to three grams of androgens I'm never going to look like a pro, you know, understand that early on, be happy with your own kind of progression that you can take, but don't get greedy. 
I think that's my best advice to people getting into the PED world is you'll see people accumulate androgens, accumulate, I want more, I want more, I want more. And they never get the more that they want. And you can quite easily find yourself in this place where you're using eight units of growth hormone, three grams of androgens, 50 units of insulin. And you're like, shit, you know, I still don't look like that, but I feel terrible. My sleep's awful. My libido is smashed. Um, my lower back pump's so bad, I can't walk to the post box, you know. <laughs> I can't eat any food. My training sucks because I'm so physiologically and neurologically tired. You will get there. Um, sorry, that was a bit of a ramble, but essentially the roundabout message there is be patient, find what dose you get some degree of response from, and stay there for as long as you're getting the kind of results that you want. And this is a good movement back to this risk to reward. Set yourself the kind of progression that you want that is also framed within a risk to reward analysis that's acceptable for you. So if you want to be able to gain, let's say, two pounds of muscle a month, which is a shitload of muscle, really, um, let's say gain half a pound a week on the scale and you know you, your measurements stay really good and your body composition holds really nice and um, maybe you're using calipers and that's good. You might get to a point where you need to titrate those up, you know, well, well, you definitely will as you get more muscular. The needs will increase. You'll have to decide as an individual what rate you're comfortable escalating to um, or with and then what total dose you're comfortable escalating to per phase um but your macro cycle design definitely should indicate how long you do that for also which is a totally different uh discussion sorry that was such a ramble there that's good um so i think uh an important thing as well to potentially double back on would be like when you are starting off like basing it off blood work and seeing where your initial starting point is. I think that's something that too many people jump the gun on, whether it's because, um, well, like for myself, like I, I started rather early. So I was still like in uni. At the time. So like funds aren't really there. The drugs themselves aren't that expensive, but it's when people are cutting corners in terms of health supplementation on blood work, but actually knowing where you start initially, because there actually is a, a bit of research out there showing like declining natural levels of testosterone just in general population. So I think a lot of people would even get significant benefit just starting from that TRT dosage. Uh, now, obviously, that's from like a general population cohort. Ho hopefully, us physique development, health, health oriented, will have better lifestyle factors. But I think a lot of people starting off could actually just eke out a lot of progress just from that initial starting point. Yeah, most definitely. But I mean, if you're like a, a middle-aged man who's gone through a degree of andropause or the totality of andropause, and you know, my dad's 54 or something, he refuses to go and get his blood work done. Um, so if he did, you know, we might be looking at eight or nine mol, something like that. Man, just putting him mid upper range of physiological would massively increase. When we look at net protein turnover, which I think is important when discussing where you are as a natural and where you're going as an enhanced individual you know everybody's going to have a certain degree of muscle protein synthesis that they're expressing on a total 
on, on a daily basis. So we've got this anabolic input and everybody's going to have a degree of muscle protein breakdown that they're expressing over a 24 hour period. So this catabolic input. And as you're a natural bodybuilder and you're consuming protein and consuming a calorie surplus, you're driving muscle protein synthesis with that and also decreasing muscle protein breakdown. Your resistance training is driving muscle protein synthesis up, muscle protein breakdown down. Um, and you have this total net amount of anabolism. So you've dropped down muscle protein breakdown, you've moved up muscle protein synthesis. Basically, this is an equation equals X amount of anabolism per day. You're going to get a certain amount of time that that is sufficient to drive skeletal muscle growth. And then over time, that will attenuate down. And there's a phrase used in bodybuilding, like as you've heard, it's like reach your genetic potential first. If anybody can quantify where that is, you should you know, be gifted millions of pounds because how can you say, right, protein accretion has now hit zero? You know, uh, over time, it's definitely going to tick down. And you can, again, it's a question that you can ask yourself, like, what degree of progress am I happy to take as a natural athlete? And another one of my good friends, Lyle McDonald, wrote a great article on essentially protein accretion rates per year of natural athletes. And if we're seeing past the four-year mark, you might be gaining like a pound of muscle a year. Um, is that enough for you? I don't know. And if not, Here's the considerations you're going to have to make. And what number do you want to turn that up to? Do you want to try and turn it up to 40 pounds? Man, you might kill yourself in the process. Do you want to just turn that up to 10 pounds? 10 pounds of muscle is a shitload in a year. Like any competitor, think about adding 10 pounds of stage weight in a year is crazy. Um, and you don't, for most people, we're talking purely averages here, you don't have to turn it up a hell of a lot to get that out. And if you can do that over the next five years, that's an incredible return on investment. But your patience will allow you to do that. But anyway, my point on protein turnover there was just driving up net anabolism with a degree of anabolics. Like we were saying, they bind at the androgen receptor, they transcribe anabolism. That will put that individual back into the kind of net protein accretion zone that they like. And that could just be the top end of your physiological levels if you're an older male or female, I don't know, you know, actually I, I should say females also go for andropause and can use testosterone as HRT, absolutely. Um, that may be enough. So, so that is the best route to go for sure. Yeah, and when it comes to turning up that androgen expression, uh, sorry, total androgen load, what are the means by which this safer use model runs? So obviously, like not every drug is equal. We're going to need some form of variety between each. Um, and it, it is derived from research. Again, like it's not as if we have clinical evidence on bodybuilders. Um, that's not where these companies want to fund their money. They don't care about what we do. It's more so right. We're pulling information from, let's say, breast cancer patients um, or people suffering from like burns victims. So pulling uh, information from there, what kind of framework does this safer use model run through? Yeah, you're absolutely right, actually. And that's a good point to note is that we're pulling data from diab like disease states, diabetics, muscle wasting diseases, breast cancer, like you said. So it can be difficult when we talk about polypharmacy drug use, as there's not a 
a lot in fact there's very little research in that area but we we can only do our best here to create a, a fair hypothesis so firstly speaking purely about androgens the the safest and most highly researched studied and approved for human drug that we have available to us is testosterone so the first androgen on the table for everybody should be testosterone um we need dihydrotestosterone which is a metabolite of testosterone we need estradiol which is the primary metabolite of estrogen testosterone binds to the aromatase enzyme converts to estradiol it's extremely important for fat loss and muscle gain we don't need to dive into that too much but there's some physiological mechanisms that mean testosterone should be the at least the base of every single net androgen exposure period that we have as bodybuilders um so the first compound that you should use and also we were talking about discovering your sort of minimum effective dose you want to also discover what your maximum tolerable dose of a monotherapy testosterone is first because estrogen is wonderful it's highly anabolic it drives fat loss in and of itself also it's lipolytic um we want as much of that in the blood as possible and it gets a little bit more technical when we're talking about androgen estrogen ratios down the line when we're using higher androgens but first time anabolics users don't really need to worry about that you want to see how much testosterone you can tolerate and this is incredibly variable so i've got some clients we get to like 250 even with microdosing daily subcutaneously and things can skew a little bit and we get some estrogenic side effects like gynecomastia, for example, breast tissue development. Um, and other clients, like if you guys are on Physique Collective, look at Christian's log, like we titrated testosterone up to 700 milligrams and it's fine, you know? Mm. So it's highly variable, but as much of that as you can tolerate within the total androgen load that you're being exposed to is number one. Um, what we're primarily using androgens for, I say primarily because there's other roles, but it is their action at the androgen receptor. And as we've mentioned a few times in this podcast, that is protein accretion rates, the, the expression of anabolism, uh, the transcription of anabolism at the androgen receptor. There's other receptors that they have actions with. Um, we can start talking about progestins and glucocorticoid receptors and stuff, but higher level stuff that you don't need to worry about as a first time user. Um, and roughly speaking, every androgen at the androgen receptor does about the same thing. So it makes the most sense that we would pick the most benign option that has been studied and approved for human clinical use for us to drive further protein accretion. Once we reach that top level tolerable testosterone dose, and that would absolutely be prima bolum. So this is where DHT derivatives come into play. Primobolin is by far the most benign androgen that we have access to. We've got great trial data in females running up to 1,200 milligrams per week and things like this. Um, Mastron, I, I could say, could have place here in the kind of lower dose framework, but definitely if an individual is, is using higher androgen loads, I'd, I'd much prefer to see primobolin in there, assuming that um, accessibility to reliable product um is there which it should be for most people these days um so ireland it, it's a bit of a different story is it have you still yeah, quality of drugs back there just isn't 
anything like here. Um, and like we know, like air supplier, we get like uh, HPLC testing. Um, that just isn't a thing back home. And the the whole thing with Primo is like, yeah, it's faked a lot because it is pricey. Um, and a lot of people will either have an underdose or it'll just be masked or it'll just be something else. So yeah, if you are unsure of your supplier, I would get these tested um, or reach out to someone you know who has stuff tested. Yeah, most definitely. So as we're moving up the total androgen load, like we said, maybe you've got 250 milligrams of testosterone, you've been doing really well eight weeks later. as a little, you know, you've added a good amount of new size, but you're kind of edging out of where your desirable progression is and you've assessed the risk of adding a little bit more androgen, you can take that to 300 milligrams of testosterone. Maybe you do fine. Again, you might get eight, nine, 10, however many weeks out of it. You monitor your progress very carefully, and you start to see that movement off of the kind of progress that you want. And you've had a risk-to-reward analysis, and you want to take another 50 milligram. Maybe you go 350 milligram testosterone, and then you see, I mean, this, these are just numbers I'm pulling out my ass because this could occur anywhere. Um, but then you see some consequential estrogenic side effects. Maybe you get a little bit of gyno crop up. So you go, ah, okay, I'm already microdosing. So that would mean like a seven day per week injection frequency, ideally, or as much as you can kind of tolerate would be what I would recommend in terms of stability of blood levels of androgens and aromatase action. So for this individual, we say, right, 300 milligram of testosterone as a monotherapy is as much as you can get away with tolerability to estrogenic side effects. But we still want that 350 milligram of total androgens binding at the androgen receptor and turning on all that sweet animalism that we want. So we say, OK, let, let's take 50 milligrams of primobolin then. So now you see how this stack design is building up and then we can run that for an amount of time. Maybe that 50 milligram of primobolin becomes 100 milligrams. So now you're at a 400 milligram androgen load total. And you would continue down this line up to the point of either your growth phase has finished and you no longer require all this anabolism. So you're just going to go to a fat loss phase or a maintenance phase, whatever it may be, which the requirements will be far less. But again, that's a different discussion for another podcast. Um, there will also come a time where let's say you continue accumulating primobolin here and you're working with some high level stuff. So you've got a 300 milligram of testosterone and you've accumulated up to 1,500 milligram of primobolin, right? Your net androgen estrogen ratio now has skewed so far in favor of androgens beyond what it was at that 350 milligrams of testosterone that you couldn't tolerate, but your stack design is now disfavorable in the other direction. Lots of research looks at testosterone to estrogen ratios. Um, Professor Scott Howells has an excellent article on Jay Campbell's side talking about this. I believe the quote was, hormone action in isolation is meaningless. Therefore, I have high estrogen. It doesn't make sense. What you actually mean is you have an estrogen dominant androgen to estrogen ratio in the blood. So what might be a better idea is as you're accumulating up these androgens, let's say you, you've got that 300 milligram of testosterone and you get to... 500 milligrams of primobolin, you might notice some low estrogen symptoms for two reasons. One, you've skewed the androgen-estrogen ratio in favor of androgens. Two, every single anabolic androgenic steroid, all of those molecules have some affinity for the aromatase enzyme. 
So you're filling up the totality of um, aromatase that can bind up. So you might say, okay, now I'm going to try the 350 milligrams of testosterone. And you'll find, oh, I'm okay now. Now I've got those androgens in there. I've got a more favorable androgen estrogen ratio. And you definitely want to continue to favor estrogen as much as possible. So at all times, ideally, your stack design would have as great an estrogenic contribution as possible within the totality of compounds that you're using. Yeah. What would you say the negative effects of having too, too little estrogen would be for people that obviously do not know? Well, from, from, a, few, uh, from a purely progressive point of view, um, it's anabolic. It potentiates the GHIGF axes. It's lipolytic. Uh, it drives up um, transcription of uh, enzymes that lead to glucose disposal. So your ability to partition uh, glucose to glycogen is going to be less. Um, it's also cardioprotective, neuroprotective, um, bone health increase, lipid health increase. Essentially, a lot of the negative afflictions of PED use, estrogen contributes towards mediating positively. So it, it's not something that you want to avoid, that's for sure. I would always, always run my client's estrogen as high as possible with the context that, yes, we can swing hormone ratios to, to favor less extracellular fluid retention around a, a competition date very acutely. I don't want to say never, because, yeah, I do do that. I coach competitors, you know. Um, but in terms of progression times, if fat loss is the goal, if growth is the goal, if maintaining as good a health profile as possible is the goal, which I mean for every human, unless, I don't know, you've got some kind of suicidal drive for your opportunities, it, it is always going to be the case, right? So absolutely recommend favouring the estrogenic contribution as much as possible. From testosterone, I'll say. From testosterone, in terms of our safer use, we, we don't need other molecules that drive estrogenic outcomes. We use testosterone for that. I think the benefits as well of obviously running a, a lower base testosterone is the requirement of not needing to run an AI alongside of it. So exactly that further exactly. benefits that that com well, that, com that component. Of yeah, the few ratios together. That's a great point for any first-time PED users. Uh, aromatase inhibitors and selective estrogen receptor modulators offer supraphysiological anabolic steroid users no therapeutic benefit. Again, I'll come back to this. Yeah, I can understand some very acute use around a, a prep, you know, the, the last few days of a prep, if you're trying to skew those hormonal ratios favorably to have less fluid retention, so that might be higher progestin higher androgen, lower estrogen, sure. But when it comes to progression rates, those drugs are only going to be damaging to health, or I should say more damaging to your health than controlling androgen-estrogen ratio with your stack design. Yeah, now they can be used on a short time frame, uh, as Joe said. Um, also, potentially, like if you were to experience, let's say, some kind of or some high estrogen, uh, do, would you still recommend like short term deployment there just as a corrective measure? Oh, yeah, man. Like ad hoc use of tamoxifen, for example. Let's say that individual that we gave the example for, they hit that 350 milligram and they have an onset of gyno. Once they just leave it, you know, yeah, sure, just use 
maybe 20 milligrams of tamoxifen until that dips off and whilst we skew your hormonal ratios back to a favorable state absolutely yeah so keep it on hand but it should never be basal use yeah yeah and um, so i suppose the next point for us to touch on would be if we take all these considerations and um, let's say we match up our risk reward ratio um, and we do not want to pursue the anabolic route in terms of physique enhancement what other pathways do we have available right absolutely so first point to note is um when it comes to safer use of drugs it makes much more sense for us to have multiple metabolic pathways that we can drive forward rather than just turn the life out of androgens and this is a very old school thinking like no one needs to use growth hormone until they get to a gram of anabolics or no one should use insulin unless you're 400 pounds or whatever these people say you know um we know now from data that you incur a greater degree of deleterious health costs and i hate to use the word but toxicity when you turn the life out of a single dial right so we've mentioned quite a few times on this podcast about like net anabolism so how much muscle protein synthesis you can drive up how much muscle protein breakdown you can drive down anabolics we've used to contribute to that now there will come a point where we can say right we need more of this we could use more anabolics but we turn in that dial now maybe to an uncomfortable degree or could we use something that maybe in and of itself would do that or even provide a synergistic relationship to our anabolics or a permissive relationship to our anabolics and only have to turn the dial a separate dial a brand new dial a little bit makes much more sense from a safer use perspective to do that so something like growth hormone very obvious example in and of itself drives whole body protein synthesis. I wouldn't say that there's any data showing growth hormone to drive skeletal muscle increasing in and of itself, no. But anabolic steroids increase mRNA expression of local autocrine and paracrine IGF-1. Growth hormone has a permissive relationship with that. So now you're making your anabolics far more effective at the same dose. We don't need to use more anabolics. We can use a little bit of growth hormone to potentiate their action. Great. and Growth hormone is one of these that, if you look at therapeutic dosing, is astronomical. So I'm not too concerned about negative health costs of growth hormone at the dosages that we use, beginning at that two to three IU point, maybe up to six in a high-level competitor, maybe up to eight in someone that's really pushing for very short periods of time. I mean, even that is like below therapeutic dosing for many, many people. Um, so this is a, a drug input that works really well. Insulin, another one worth mentioning, both as a, a basal health, sort of like a prophylactic measure for individuals eating a shitload of calories. We're going to look at, we mentioned disease states. If you look at type two diabetic research, look at their behaviors. What do they do? They overfeed primarily on carbohydrates for long periods of time and, and, and cause themselves insulin resistance. Who does that sound like? Bodybuilders, right? Their, their behaviors are very similar to ours. So when it comes to maintaining beta cell function, basal actin insulin is another one that's a great metabolic pathway to include. And then we can progress to using rapid actin insulin when it comes to driving supraphysiological glycogen um, partitioning. We've got injectable L-carnitine as a catalyst or as something that can drive greater glucose disposal or to favor fatty acid oxidization. You start stacking these on top of each other, clenbuterol, your him being metformin, 
Bravira and Delmasata, and you're like, holy shit, I've got all of these drugs available to me. But this is great because then we could just leave the androgens and start turning these dials a little bit over time as needed with very low risk. Yep. Um, with the growth hormone, that's uh, an important thing to point is like, there is, I'm awful at remembering research study names, but there's research showing like growth hormone alone, growth hormone alone doesn't add a gram of muscle tissue. Um, but when used with anabolics, you will see more than just the same dosage of anabolics alone. Um, also, it is like sexually dimorphic for females. It won't really help you put on any muscle tissue, but it can be used pretty well in terms of fat loss uh, for fat yeah. I've got, a few, I've got a bunch of articles on growth hormone on physique collective where we go through that data like you said there was a bit of like a, a misunderstanding for a long time of that literature because of the the use the use of the words lean body mass and conflating that with muscle mass we know that growth hormone drives up aldosterone and therefore drives up extracellular fluid extracellular fluid isn't adiposity and therefore it's quote-unquote lean and yeah the 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 systemic IGF-1 outcome of growth hormone use for females is far, far less than males. But I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that the free fatty acid mobilization effect is less for females. And I wouldn't say anecdotally either. I've used growth hormone with great success in female prep clients, um, which is especially important to that cohort because we want to avoid androgen exposure as much as possible. So these pathways are are very interesting but for the topic that we said you know first time PED user as you're going through your accumulation over time you definitely want to learn these pathways and get familiar with them you know if you're breaching 500 milligram of total androgen load maybe it's time to put a couple of units of growth hormone in there for example I think another important one to cover over is uh cost <laughs> like uh, if you're running growth and even in its own right at 2IU like it's, it's spenny so if you're running that at like eight you need a thick bank balance. Like, um, is it's not a cheap endeavor, especially if we're going to be running obviously androgens for primarily the rest of our life. You know, at TRT, um, you know, people need to obviously have that consideration of how much this stuff actually costs, because obviously there is a cost associated. I think a nice way to wrap things up here might be actually to touch on that kind of. Um, the fact that we may have to run this for the rest of our life at a TRT dosage um, and just kind of base that very briefly off like right, what is the success rate or the stress cost or whatever of actually having to go through like a HCG protocol so after you shut down your HPG access how difficult what is the success rate and what would be like the, the steps for you to if you were to try and get your natural production back as opposed to let's say TRT for the rest of your life yeah, so um, one of my friends, Peter Bond, who's written a book on steroids, actually, that I would recommend everybody buy. I don't agree with everything that Peter says in that book. But I think the old topic was a bit... Yeah, this is, where, this is where I think we disagree. But disagreement's great. And having a... Um, discourse. Good, exactly, is, is very important in, a, in our world because in the bodybuilding world, essentially people argue with each other very emotionally about these things, which doesn't lead to anything productive. Me and Peter have had great conversations about that, and I, I respect him greatly. He's incredibly intelligent, brilliant, brilliant researcher. But anyway, so he was uh, a contributor to the recent Harlem study, and he 
he sent me the full paper actually on Thursday and I uploaded it as a PDF to Physique Collective to anybody that wants to see. So essentially, th this is a, a study that follows anabolic steroid users um, that cycle. So they come off of their androgens, which is not what I would recommend, but this is an observational study that's very interesting for us now. Some of the cohort use PCT protocols, and the PCT protocols are broken down in the study. Some will include tamoxifen, some with Clomid, some with HCG, some with HMG, you know, these spermatogenic drugs or drugs that mimic LH and or FSH, etc., with the goal of restarting their own HPG axes. Some individuals don't use these drugs at all. And these are long-term anabolic steroid users. And we compare the time to reinstatement of the HPG axes. Um, and there wasn't a statistical significant difference between them, but the group that didn't use SERMs um, or HCG, et cetera, actually had a slightly quicker time to endogenous hormone production outcome, which um, I've long written about um, as a hypothesis would be the case. Um, and success rate to reinstatement of HBG axes was essentially 100%. So you will be able to get your own natural production back. Will it be any good? Who knows? Maybe it, it might be. It will definitely be as shit as it was before. If it was shit, more than likely a bit shitter. And how long will it take you to get there? Highly variable. But understand that the time it takes you to get there, that's going to be a segment of time that you spend being ibogonadal, um, which is not healthy. We're increasing disease risk over multiple disease states there. Or is it it, not enjoyable either no, so like, so people who go through and like the reason this used to exist in previous like oh 16 week cycles people ran up a lot of toxicity or stress and they had to come off um, and then go on cold turkey like when you're in that hypogonadal state that's like associated with like depression and obviously low libido and everything as well um, low focus so it's not an enjoyable thing to go through but again if you are bridging that gap if you do want to get your natural production back it's an essential part of it yeah i mean for fertility purposes specifically it's probably worth mentioning those drugs are very successful hcg hmg um and i've had lots of clients actually in the past year like josh mckell's an example of people we will know that we've ran these fertility protocols with and the data seems to show unless you had issues with spermatogenesis and azusperma prior uh, before prior to your anabolic steroid use you, you'll be fine you, you you more than likely you'll be absolutely fine in your ability to conceive especially with the drugs that we have available to us that drive that now but yeah if for whatever reason you want to regain natural hormone function the data seems to show just come off be patient and it will come back eventually to some degree. Cool. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. But ju just as a framework to describe what I would prefer than individuals coming off, I always use this phrase of your drug use should match the, the goal of the current phase. Mm -hmm. So, and, and if you periodize things properly, you will have periods of massing, of cutting, of maintaining. Um, so your greatest drug load is definitely going to be in your massing phases when it's most required. Uh, and rather than, like you said, blast the life out of yourself for 16 weeks and then come off, the drug use always maps the needs of protein accretion at that time. Like we said, it'll 
increase as you go. So there should be some kind of titration model built in. And then when you get to the point where fat accumulation is disfavorable or insulin resistance is setting in or something, you then more than likely move to a maintenance phase or, or maybe a fat loss phase. The drug load requirement is going to come down from there. Most people, true TRT is more than enough to maintain. As you get bigger, that load will increase maybe you know, the biggest individual who's walked on the planet might require 500 milligrams a week or something like this. First time PED user, just pull down to a TRT dose for a while. Diet the body fat that you accrued off. You more than likely don't need more than TRT. If you want to escalate slightly above that, that's fine. But the main runway for accumulation you need is for your massing phases. Yeah, uh, I think one thing that kind of pops up as well is like, as you mentioned, the drug use matching the goal of the current phase. I think also the phase should match the goal of the subsequent phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like again, taking these periods of lower drug expression, uh, low, sorry, lower drug exposure, um, to kind of reduce that stress or toxicity load, um, so that you can then work your way back up because we do see kind of health restoration at TRT dosages, uh, to some degree. Um, and then also, like if you did decide to come off, it probably doesn't make sense to go from like two grams of gear to cold turkey. So, again, going through let's say a TRT period to allow that clearance of drugs before you kind of start this fertility or, or natural production. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. that's a great point. Absolutely. Cool. Um, is there anything else you need to add or wrap it up there? Yeah. Sweet. Right, Joe. I think we've done pretty good. I, I will say, from, for anybody, because we've, we've done a lot of mechanistic discussion here, if you sat there thinking, right, Joe, just tell me what to take on the first blast. Man. I don't, you know, you're talking about biological inter-individuality and, you know, these milligrams are going to do different stuff. So I don't care, bro. Just tell me what to do. Right. We have this for you at Physique Collective. If you want, there's a free trial link in my profile. Go on the free trial, watch the video, and then just cancel, you know, so you get it for free. I have a, a video that we specifically made less than 10 minutes that tells you exactly what drugs and exactly what milligrams and exactly how to titrate for exactly how long. And Jake Spectre Visual has done a beautiful job editing this up because I think I spoke for about 45 minutes on it. It's <laughs> wicked sharp. It tells you exactly what to do. No nonsense. So uh, link to the free trials in my bio. I don't mind if you check it out and cancel as long as it's useful. There we go. Good stuff. Right, we'll leave it there. Joe, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Peace out. All the best.